When I was out there, like baking along the lake, you know, where it was really hot, all I was really trying to do was just keep moving forward and whatever that entailed. So I was just like looking ahead to the next aid station, like what can I do to keep moving forward? It really became that simple, which for as busy as my brain can be sometimes with thinking is surprising because I I really didn't think much beyond that because I knew like I just knew how hot how hot it was and just you know how else was I going to get to the finish line I'm like I just have to move forward I think we forget this as competitive athletes that all have goals but it's not always about the result too it's just sometimes how you how you do the thing and get across the line and we always learn infinitely more from the struggles than we do from our successes. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli. We are back with a new episode after a brief hiatus, and my guest this week is a really special one. It's my favorite person in the entire world, my best friend and biggest supporter, my wife, Christine Gould. Christine has been one of my most requested guests since I started the show three and a half years ago, and you'll finally get a chance to hear from her this week. Christine recently completed Ironman Coeur d'Alene in Idaho. It was her first swing at the 140.6 mile distance in 14 years, and this was a good opportunity to debrief with her about that experience, why she signed up for the event, how it went, and what she learned from it, as well as to learn more about her and how she operates, us as a couple and how we operate, and a lot more. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank Tracksmith for their continued support of the Morning Shakeout. Tracksmith crafts performance running apparel, inspiring publications, and distinct experiences that allow runners to indulge in the sports rich culture. Check out Tracksmith's summer essentials for racing and training, including the OTQ kits, which over 30 athletes from their amateur support program competed in at the Olympic track and field trials last month in Eugene, Oregon. It was so cool to see so much Tracksmith on both the track and the field at the trials, not to mention a number of athletes rocking the OTQ kit on the medal stand. You can pick up an OTQ singlet or the OTQ race shorts for yourself and feel just as fast as some of the best athletes in the country next time you step on the starting line. Tracksmith is offering new customers $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more. Just use the code MARIO15 when you check out at tracksmith.com slash MARIO. That's M-A-R-I-O-1-5 when you check out at tracksmith.com slash Mario. This episode is also brought to you by Gooder. Man, I just love these sunglasses. Not only do they look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, They're super fun. They come in a number of awesome styles and colors. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are a Ginger Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. 
Gooders are also super affordable with most pairs coming in at just 25 to 35 bucks a piece, which makes them way more appealing than those expensive shades you're almost guaranteed to crush or lose. So if you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or two or maybe three of Gooders and head over to gooder.com slash Mario and get 15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash Mario. That's M-A-R-I-O to get 15% off your order. Your face will thank you. Okay, that's enough introduction for this episode. Please enjoy this uninterrupted conversation between me and my wife, Christine Gould. Okay, Christine Gould, aka Dr. Wife. This is a long time coming, but you are one of my most requested guests. Welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thanks for having me. How does it feel to be on the other side of the mic? Weird. Why is that? I don't know. I'm not going to want to listen to myself <laughs> later. <laughs> Why did you even agree to this? Because hmm, I know you like to ask questions, and you had told me once that <laughs> people would be interested <laughs> to hear us talk. And here we are, less than a week after you finished Ironman Coeur d'Alene. And even though this is not a triathlon podcast, there is running involved. So I guess that'll be our entry point. Tell me how you're feeling less than a week removed from your first Ironman in 14 years. Today I feel pretty good. Um, Took four days off completely of no exercise, which, you know, for a lot of us endurance athletes, that's like a lifetime. You know, we're used to doing something every day. Um, But after the race, you know, we were staying with friends in Spokane, uh, which is outside Coeur d'Alene. So it was nice to just float in the river. Um, For those that didn't know, it was oppressively hot up in the Pacific Northwest over the weekend and up by our friend's house. So it was nice to just relax. And I think uh, today was my first bit of exercise since the race and you know it felt it felt okay you know I think it was good that I took the uh, the rest and uh, I don't really feel sore or stiff anymore but I know that there's probably still some deep fatigue after that long day so just to put it into context for our listeners how hot did it get during your race this past Sunday from what I'm aware, I'm only aware of the run, um, but when I started the run, which is probably, you know, like lunchtime, it was 97, and I think when I finished, it was around 106, and it was still getting hotter, and my dad had found a news article saying that the pavement, the finish line around that area was like 130 or something crazy, so it was just like oppressively hot. Well, as someone who was there chasing you around all day, I can confirm that it was indeed oppressively hot. It felt just stifling when, even when I was in the shade, it was a little more comfortable in the shade than of the direct sun, but I mean, you were out there all day just baking in it. Obviously, you knew going into it that it was going to be a hot day, but take me back to race morning. Before you got in the water, we drove over to the start. You were kind of quiet as you were finishing off your breakfast. What was going through your mind at that point? Uh, I mean, I was nervous about the heat. I mean, I think like, you know, as athletes, we start to obsessively check the weather, you know, once it hits like the two week 
mark, and we had just had a heat wave in California. Um, and then the weather there was looking okay, warm, but not bad. But over time, you know, there was rumor that there was going to be another heat wave, and this time it was going to be centered over the Pacific Northwest. And I just kept saw the temperatures climbing, so I just started to have like a freak out because you know the it's hard to prepare for those conditions. And the 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 key leg, I mean, a you know an Ironman triathlon, a swim bike run, but there's also the fourth discipline, which is nutrition. And I was just Starting to second guess as to whether my nutrition plan was actually going to work. And, you know, leading up to it, I had, you know, like frantically had a call with my coach and then was texting friends who, you know, were more adept at training and racing in the heat and just more experienced at Ironman racing than I was, you know, just kind of asking them for last minute tips and tricks. Um, But I think that morning, you know, I was like, trying to get in a good breakfast and just start the process and just ready my head for which I knew was, I mean, wasn't going to be an easy day, but I knew with the heat, it was just, it was going to be that much harder. And I had, I really had no idea how I was going to react. I've had some success in hotter races, but I've also had, you know, really bad experiences and it just, it's hard to know like what, what hand I was going to be dealt. How much of it was balancing the, extreme heat which whether you're racing a mile or an Ironman like you were this past weekend versus racing the Ironman distance for the first time in 14 years and just for some background to those listening this you're a very adept triathlete you've qualified for two world championships at the 70.3 distance that's the half Ironman I don't know how many of those you've done over the last few years but you've got that distance like down and dialed but here you are doubling it stepping up for the first time in a while and you're dealt one of the most extreme weather days that you've probably had in your entire racing career and I'd love to try and unpack that part of it with you so in terms of like tackling the distance and race itself it's probably one of the few times yeah, I I felt confident in my training, and I know I I often second guess myself, but this time I really did, and I had come off a really good training block. I felt really confident in the work I had put in, you know, and had that kind of validated by my coach. And then, you know, at the same time, I also had a plan. So it was really nice as leading into the race. You know, he gave me specific heart rates, you know, for the bike, you often use power as a gauge and then run pacing heart rate guidelines. So I had, like, I had my marching instructions. So I was like, okay, I have my plan. I just need to follow that. And then, you know, just that added factor of, okay, if I can use, you know, fuel this appropriately, you know, maybe I'll come out this, the other side. Okay. (laughs) On top of all that, this is the first race that you've competed in in almost two years at this point because of the pandemic. Take me to the start line as you're lining up to get in the water. I mean, you're racing an Ironman for the first time in 14 years. You know it's going to be oppressively hot, but you're racing for the first time in general. I guess you did some Zwift racing on the bike mm-hmm. over the pandemic, but around other people and in a in a communally competitive environment for the first time in a while. What was that like for you before the horn went off and they sent you into the water? Admittedly, it was a little surreal even checking in and, you know, leading up to the start. It's been so long and it was just 
weird to be around like so many people again. It was hard to think, oh my God, we're actually back at the you know point where we could do racing. Um, I saw a quote from Steve Magnus. I think I saw this on Instagram, something about make it until the gun goes off. And that was kind of the mentality I was at at that point. Like I was, you know, that morning I was definitely nervous, had trouble getting my breakfast down. And at that point I was just like, I just, I just need to get this started. Like I just need, you know, I just need to be going and in it and just like focusing on that versus the waitings, the anticipation sometimes is, can be really overwhelming. But I, you know, I had found, you know, one of my friends, uh, Maggie Walsh. She was a good triathlete. Um, I found her at the start. I knew she was a good swimmer and I was definitely looking for people to pace with for swimming. So I found her at the start and I mostly was just chatting, chatting with her, you know, kind of talking about the plan and, you know, they were letting people warm up and we were both looking at each other like, we're not getting in to do a warm up, you know? So I kind of had that to distract me a little bit and just, you know, start to, you know, really get ready for what was about to happen. Before we talk about what did eventually happen during the race, going into it, what were your goals? What did you want to get out of this race? I mean, with every one of these races that I've done, mostly 70.3, you know, I usually want to, I want my race to reflect the work that I've put in. Um, The first Ironman, the only other one I did, I had a time goal in mind. Um, This one I didn't, but... um, I wanted, you know, I wanted to put together a good swim, a good bike, and a good run. And I knew if I did that, I had a chance, you know, to be pretty competitive and place well and whatever time. You know, I already knew that with the heat, that time really wasn't going to be a factor. So I just wanted to put together, you know, three disciplines and, you know, maybe I'd find myself in a good position, whether that be on the podium or... In this particular instance, because of the pandemic and you know the limitations on international racing, uh, they were offering up 200 slots to Kona. So that was like a little bit at the back of my mind. Like I was aware that if I had had you know a decent day, I stood a shot at getting one of those slots. Did that thought of Kona, which was in the back of your mind? come to the forefront at all when you were out there, whether it was early on in the swim as you were out there for almost six hours on the bike, or was it later in the run that you started to have some of those thoughts that if you continued to put it together, you had a shot at qualifying for this world championship that is the pinnacle for many triathletes? So the way that these races are set up now is it's a rolling start. So it's no longer age group racing where you line up with, you know, women or men of your same age. Now you self-seed by swim time. So it's essentially a time trial start of sorts. So you really don't know your position in the race um, until the end. I have a little bit of an advantage since I start near the front, my background is swimming. So I generally have an idea where I am. Um, But I didn't have any sense of what position I was in until I was on the first loop of the run. And I saw a friend of mine 
because his wife was racing and he saw me and he said, you're in the top five. And I was like, what? You know, for a second, I was like, I can't be top five women overall. I'm like, oh, he must mean age group. And I was like, oh, I'm like, all right. And I thought, I'm not sure I needed to know that because <laughs> at that point, you know, it was already hot on the run. And I'm like, you know, then, then you know what the stakes are when things start to go backwards. So I don't, I don't know. I struggled, you know, looking back, knowing whether I ever needed to know that because when the wheels started to fall off, during the run, I, I could pinpoint the moment where I'm like, well, there goes, there goes my shot of being on the podium, which, you know, for Ironman races, you get, a, um, you get an award for top five. And then even though I didn't know exactly how many Kona slots there were, you know, once I really started to slow down, like, yeah, that's, that's not happening today. So. Do you think if David hadn't told you what position you were in at that point of the run that it would have changed anything? That's a good question. Maybe, maybe not, because I still, even the conversation I had um, with my coach, Matt, you know, he said, like, if you put together just a solid day, if I kept moving, I mean, the name of the game that day was, is if you could actually keep moving on the run in that heat, you would fare better than anyone else. Um, and I couldn't even do that after the second loop. So I think... Probably in hindsight, even though you know my brain's picking apart, like oh, I knew that I maybe could have tried something different when things started to fall apart, but probably not. Like I don't think ultimately it would have made a difference because once I got to the point where I had to start, well, when I wasn't sure I would finish, and then when I started walking, you know that at that point it just came about getting across the finish line if I could. So take me through the three loop run. I saw you two times the first time around. I got a couple laughs out of you, but you were pretty dialed, focused, running well at that point, seemed to be getting hydration down. I noticed from the tracker that at some point of the second loop, you had started to slow down. I mean, it was well over 100 degrees at that point. So I wasn't too, too concerned as most everyone else was also slowing down a bit. But take me through the run, like one loop at a time. How did you feel at the beginning of it? Did you feel confident in your ability to tackle the marathon at that point? Were you just focused on nailing that first mile or focusing on the first loop? I'd love to just kind of get into your, your psyche at that point. So when I finished the bike, I definitely took a little bit of extra time in transition. I changed my socks, put, you know, put on my shoes. And for this race, I decided to wear, start with a hydration vest because in the past, you know, I knew I wouldn't get enough fluids in just taking from, you know, the little cups that the volunteers have on course. So I figured, and I, I trained with the hydration vest. So I figured if I started with a vest, that had a liter of like my drink in and the straw was in my face that would just cue me to keep drinking. And at least that way, you know, once I got through that and dumped the vest with you or our friends, then, you know, then I could, you know, just take whatever was left on course. And hopefully by then it would be the third loop and it'd be okay anyway. Um, the first loop when I went out, I mean, I cued in right away to my heart rate, um, 
because I knew if I, because it was hot, so I knew my heart rate was probably going to be spiking because of the heat anyway. So I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't going over the cap that Matt had given me. Because I knew if I did that, then, you know, if I did that for one or two or the early miles, even if though my legs were feeling good, that it would, it would bite me in the end. So I just kept checking my watch, looking. I wasn't even really looking at my pace. My leg, my legs surprisingly felt pretty good. I'm like, you know, once I got to a point where my heart rate was low enough and I was moving, I was like, okay, I, I think I could sustain this. And then for the first loop, that focus was just trying to keep my core temperature down. Um, the race director said they had 62,000 pounds of ice on the course. So at every aid station where there was ice, I was grabbing cups, putting it, you know, down my top, under my hat, down my shorts, like anything, you know, that was a piece of advice I was given, like try to keep your core temperature down. Um, and then I had started the run with a gel and then I knew that there were gels on course that I could pick up. So I really was just trying to focus on like drinking, keeping my core cool and like getting in that initial fueling. And for the first lap, you know, that went pretty well. Um, didn't really, you know, I was like, okay, like I made it through one loop. Let's just keep it going. And somewhere halfway between the second loop, I just noticed like I was just starting to feel like a little bit off. It was definitely getting hot. Um, and then I, you know, I definitely started, you know, I told myself like, okay, I could walk through the aid stations to make sure I could get everything I could get and then pick up running again. And then I think it was somewhere after like the halfway point I just like, I was having a light headache. You know, my, I think I told you, I'm like, my head feels tired. Um, and I just, like, I knew that I was starting to fall off, but at the same time, I was having trouble getting in calories. So by the time I was like finishing that second loop, I was really starting to question like whether or not I could keep going, whether I should keep going, where I wanted to keep going. Um, so when I saw you in the park, I was just like, I, I'm like, I think I'm done. Like at that point, I knew I wasn't really able to run very much. Every time I tried to run, you know, I was starting to feel, you know, pretty sick to my stomach. I didn't want to puke. I was also feeling a little lightheaded. Um, I think I had stopped sweating. Like I, you know, I was feeling my face. It felt a little flush. So I was just like, I, I don't know. <laughs> so that's why, like, you know, I took that. <laughs> I took that sit in the shade on the second loop and I really, you know, it was at that point I knew it was probably, you know, like four o'clock in the afternoon and I knew I had eight plus miles to go and part of this run course along the lake, it's beautiful, but it's also black asphalt and the blazing sun and the thought of going back out there when it was just, you know, starting to be the heat of the day, like five, six o'clock, I, I just wasn't sure that I could do it and I definitely wanted to drop at that point. Like I, I, I wasn't, I, I was really questioning whether or not I could do it safely. <laughs> well, if I can jump in here, that was my concern as well, because you're my wife and I love you. And the last thing I want to see is, I mean, you in any kind of distress, but in conditions like that end up in the hospital because of heat stroke or, or something along those lines. And you had said, yeah, my head's feeling tired. Um, you had stopped sweating. So I'm like going into protective husband mode and I'm like, I don't really care if you finish this or not. I'm not going to think any differently about you. Um, I just want to make sure that you're safe. But I also wasn't going to make that decision for you. 
So we sat down in the shade for five minutes, tried to cool down a little bit, which is hard to do because it was still 100 plus degrees in the shade. I mean, you were having trouble getting stuff down at that point. Take the listeners through what happened next. At the end of that second loop, you've got over eight miles to go in the race at that point. We are heat of the day. I mean, it's got to be 105, 106 degrees at that point. What happened next? Well, I told you to call Matt. (laughs) I'm like, call my coach. (laughs) And you're like, he's on a plane. And I was like, crap. Because I'm just like, oh, I need, I don't know. I think I knew I needed someone to tell me to do it because I'm just like, I wasn't finding it. Uh, I I need someone to tell me to do it. And I knew you weren't really going to be the one to do it either. But what you did get me to do was the way this run course looped as you finished, you know, you looped back around through the park. So you told me like, just go back around. I'll meet you on the other side of the park. So I was like, okay. I went through, um, and in that time, you called my friend Haley, you know, and <laughs> phone a friend <laughs> when you need the lifeline. Um, I got her on the phone, you know, so I was that person on the phone in the middle of the race. But, um, you know, she was, she was a godsend because you, you know, you gave the phone and she's just like, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm not doing very good. I don't think I could finish. I'm, it's really hot. I'm not eating or drinking. I still have eight miles to go. And she's like, I know. She's like, I know it's hard. She's like, but, you know, you signed up for this. You know, this was supposed to be my 40th birthday gift to myself last year. She's like, you signed up for this for your birthday. You're going to be really upset and disappointed and have regrets if you don't finish. So she's like, She's like, just try to get to the next aid station. See if, see if you can get anything down, you know, just like keep, you know, go to the next aid station, see if anything will work and just, you know, go aid station to aid station. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, I, you know, from there, that's what the game plan became. I, you know, would go to the next aid station and I, you know, tried all the things that uh, the Ironman Rolling Run Buffet had to offer from chips, pretzels, Gatorade, Coke, you know, I was still taking water and ice. Actually, the best aid station was this group of teenagers out on the really hot section of the course that had Otter Pops um, for all the runners. And they actually went back out to buy more. Um, and I took one of those as well. Um, so that became, you know, the game. And when I felt, you know, I knew I, I didn't want to be out there forever. So I started to play the, okay, how many steps can I run before I need to walk? So I started with, I think I started with 10 steps. Like, okay, just run 10 steps, walk 10 steps. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to puke. Maybe I can go a little longer. So I think I got to the point where I was between running and walking 50 to 100 steps at a time. And when I started to feel like a little dizzy or I might get sick, then I decided to walk. But, you know, when I did that, you know, it made the miles go a little faster. And I'm like, okay, I might actually get through this, particularly the hot section. Like that was the section I really wanted to get through. Because once you were back in the neighborhoods closer to downtown, there was a lot more shade um, and you weren't as baked in the sun as you were out there. And that became the game on the third loop. Um, And Believe it or not, just counting to 50 <laughs> was enough to just kind of distract me from everything else. And, you know, there were a couple of runners that checked up on me on the course. One guy offered me some salt tabs. You know, there were, I had another sit in the shade <laughs> on the really hot part. 
um, just for like a minute to, you know, gather myself like, okay, I just need to get to the turnaround and, and, and then I can head back. And um, by the time I made it to the part at the end of the third loop where I got to go down the finish shoot, I was just so incredibly relieved to just be done. And I, I told you, I'm like, I'm going straight to the med tent. Just find me there. Cause I, I knew I needed to just go sit in the shade and just have someone check me out to make sure I was okay. During that last loop, how did your why shift? You talked earlier about what you wanted to get out of this race going into it. But when things started to fall apart for you, the second half of that run, you just described our conversations, the chat you had with Haley on the phone. But once you got off the phone with her and I couldn't go with you, I had to wait for you to come back around and head toward the finish shoot. You're all by yourself at that point. How did your why change? What did it become for you at that point? Oh, I mean, I want to finish what I start. So, I mean, I I knew I would be really disappointed in myself if I didn't do it. Um, even though I I already knew that I would have some disappointment with the result, but you know, just like I knew I wasn't in in any major danger. Like I felt stable enough that I could finish. So, just I just focused on that and you know, I said I knew you know, I'm like, I, I've been put in so much time and work and effort into this that at the end, like, I just want to, you know, cross that finish line, hear Mike Riley call my name. And, and I knew that I would feel proud of that afterwards um, for just sticking it through, even though, you know, the perfectionist type A in me would probably scrutinize the result afterwards and wondering what I could have done differently, but. Which has happened, by the way, for anyone <laughs> listening to this. So, yeah, I just, I just wanted to finish what I started, you know, at that point, you know, and I knew I had the time to, and, you know, I knew I had plenty of time on my side. And I think Haley told me that too. She said, you have a lot of time left. So I just, you know, I, took that time so I could be sure to cross that finish line because, you know, ultimately that's what everyone who embarks on an Ironman wants to do, no matter what, is is get across the finish. And because um, that in and of itself, you know, is an impressive feat. And sometimes you don't really think so because you have all these goals and expectations. But, you know, to someone else looking at it, and I've had several friends this week, you know, say, oh my God, that was, that's amazing. Do you understand how amazing that was, what you just did? And I don't think I realized it at the time, but um, just finishing that you know, alone is something I'm, I'm really, really proud of. On that last loop, you described how eventually you just started focusing on trying to run 50 strides and then walk 50 strides. Run 50 strides, walk 50 strides. Did you think of anything else to help get you through that last lap, aside from all the work that you put in? Did you have any other, let's call them third-party motivations? you think at all about the people you had in your corner who have helped you out along the way? I mean, did you think back to any other tough situations that you've been in, whether it was a race or something else that you got through? I'd, I'd love to just 
understand like what else you were pulling from in that really difficult moment? Oh yeah. I mean, I know I have, you know, a crowded corner full of people who support me. So I, you know, I've, I have you and my family and my coach and I, you know, the two friends we were staying with were out there in the heat, you know, cheering for me, you know, checking in with you. Um, You know, I knew I had, you know, friends at home tracking me, you know, pulling for me, all, all of my training partners and friends. Um, So that, I mean, that's always, and, but at the same time, I know that if, (laughs) If for some reason I really felt like it, there was no way I could have could have finished. I also know I would have had that support and understanding um, as well. And there's only been one triathlon where I've had to pull out, and it was a similar situation. I overheated, but at that point I really was having more serious symptoms at the time and knew it was the right decision. Um, I think I just had a little bit of just tunnel vision, but just the focus of just moving forward. Um, I think I started to think of everything else when I got to the finish line, but when I was out there, it's like baking along the lake, you know, where it was really hot, all I was really trying to do was just like keep moving forward and whatever that entailed. So I was just like looking ahead to the next aid station, like what can I do to keep moving forward? It really became that simple, which for as busy as my brain can be sometimes with thinking is um, surprising. Cause I, I really didn't think much beyond that. Cause I knew, like I just knew how hot, how hot it was and just, how I, you know, how else was I going to get to the finish line? I'm like, I just have to move forward and counting the steps, you know, doing just like that very simple activity was enough. Yes. was just enough to keep my focus there. And I didn't really let things get bigger and more emotional until I actually like reached the finish line. Um, even though I've, you know, I've done like countless hard training sessions. I've done training sessions where it's been hot, you know, and um, I think even my coach had asked me in the debrief that I filled out, you know, were there things that I drew upon? But in like that particular moment, it really was just focusing on the task of just like, what do I need to do to keep moving forward? Now, last bit about the race before we move on to other topics because I think we've been going for about a half hour or so on this. I mean, granted, the race took you 12 hours and 45 minutes, mm-hmm. so debriefing it in, in half an hour I think is pretty good. But take me through the final, let's say, two to 400 meters as you're coming down the finishing straight. You see the carpet. I sprinted ahead so that I could catch you there, and as you're coming down, you're by yourself. There's no one else around you. You've got the entire straightaway to yourself. You are a ball of tears. And that is notable because in the 10 years or so that we've been together, I think I've seen you cry or get emotional maybe half a dozen times. No more than 10 for sure. So I know it takes a lot 
to get that to come out of you. Describe the emotion of that final straightaway and what was going through your mind and body and soul during that final minute or two of the race. I was trying to get to the point to the finish where I could actually run (laughs) because I really wanted to be able to run down the finish chute. Um, And when I, you know, when I saw it, it it was, it was really, it's, it was really nice. There was a lot of crowd support and the biggest thrill for why so many triathletes do an Ironman is to hear Mike Riley call your name across the finish line and, you know, say, Christine Gould, you are an Ironman. So I knew like that moment was about to happen. And, um, it's just a long day and probably, you know, a lot of, you know, your ultra athletes can relate when you see it, when you've been out there for so long in brutal conditions, physically, mentally, emotionally, it's almost this huge like release, like just the focus that needed to have. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh. And like, just a minute, it's going to be all over and I can stop and be done and just like take it all in. Um, And I I was just like so, so happy that I had kept going, that I made it to that finish line um, and got, you know, got to like hear my name called and and be done and know that I like, oh my gosh, I I did another one of these. Like this is probably one of the worst weather condition, you know, like it's a brutal day to, to be out there for 140.6 miles, you know, and I, I survived. I like somehow like found it in me to get to that point. And I was just like so relieved and happy and tired. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was like instantaneous. Like, and I think even in my, the only other Ironman I did, I also cried. Like, it's just such a long day that just, that was like my immediate reaction <laughs> was to cry like, oh my gosh, the finish, I'm done. This is amazing. And then you walked out of the shoot and said, this is the stupidest yeah. thing I've ever done. <laughs> it was. It's so crazy hot. This race had a 27% DNF rate. I mean, it was, it was legit. There, there was, the medical tent was very full when I got there. You know, it was not the, you know, you read the warnings for extreme heat and they tell you, please don't do any strenuous activity outside. And what are we all doing? A <laughs> long distance triathlon. So uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, I couldn't be more proud of you. I feel really grateful that I got to be there. Not that I'd be anywhere else to watch you finish, knowing the work that you put into it. When I saw you come down the finishing straight with tears in your eyes, I mean, I started welling up because I, I'd never see you in that that state. And I saw you in a pretty low place just an hour and a half, two hours before as you were halfway through the run. So even though we weren't talking in that moment, I felt like I understood it um, just because we've kind of, I mean, I wasn't out, I guess I was out there at various points, of course, I wasn't out there with you, but I've been on this, this journey with you and I, I've seen the amount of work that's gone into it. I wouldn't say the sacrifices that you've made, the things that you've prioritized to, you know, to make this happen. I know how much it meant to you. I know how hard it was for you to see your A goal go out the window earlier than than you would have hoped. But still, you found it 
within you with some help from our good friend Haley Manning mm-hmm. to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and getting it done. And I, I mean, I've watched you race probably, I don't know, 100 times at this point over the last 10 years, close to that anyway. I, I don't know that I've ever been more proud of you than I was in that moment. I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I'm... You're a tough it, cookie, Gold. It, it means a lot. And, you know, my coach told me he was proud of me. Um, you know, I, it's not always, I think we forget this as competitive athletes that all have goals, but it, it's not always about the result, too. It's just sometimes how you how you do the thing and get across the line and, you know, the... We always learn infinitely more from the struggles than we do from our successes. When did you first come to realize that, that it's not just about the result, that you really have to embrace the process for what it is and find joy in that itself? Oh, it's still a working progress <laughs> for me, but... Um, I mean, I think last year is a prime example for most of us with the pandemic and there being zero racing on the table. I know I joked with you that, oh, I'm going to be done racing when I'm 40. And then I go and sign up for an Ironman for my 40th. Um, But there actually was no racing. It's like the universe was like, you don't need a race for a year. Let's see how that goes. Um, And there wasn't. And I think, you know, with that, like, I actually couldn't even swim for several months. And it was just, you know, I only had the ability to ride and run and do a little strength training. And oftentimes there wasn't any structure or plan, but it was just to get out and do it to, you know, just help maintain sanity, you know, with the stress of, you know, everything that we were all dealing with. And, you know, over time of just getting out consistent, Every day last year, over time, I started to see glimpses of fitness and improvement without even like having a plan in place to pursue it. And that was, I was like, oh, well, this is fascinating. Like, I don't actually have a race on the schedule. Um, I was still working with my coach and we had kind of a loose plan and some workouts and some goals when, when it came time. But there was, I was like, oh, I, I'm like, wow, somehow between, you know, just day in and day out consistency, um, I just started to see progress. And I think that was, I think having a year of that was good for me. Um, Because as my family jokes, I'm a flaming type A. (laughs) So uh, I set pretty high standards for myself. and really, I've, I have this expectation, and this comes from maybe just schoolwork where you put in the work, you study hard, you get good grades, and then I try to translate that to athletics. I work hard, I do the workouts, I should have great races and see good results, and that has not at all ever been the case. So trying to separate that. Um, It's still a work in progress, but I think over the last year or two, it's finally starting to sit. Um, And I think that's good 
Um, I, Why is it good? Because if I put this pressure on myself to have, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I want to be top three in my age or I want to have this time on this course and have these expectations for every time I toe the line and if I fall short, um, which, you know, happens a lot. I think, you know, it's more often than not, you know, there's something happens and we may fall short for whatever reason, or we still have a good race, but it wasn't exactly what we had envisioned. Then for sure, I, I won't be able to keep doing it. It'll it'll stop being fun. And I know that I I did struggle, I think, for a year or two where I just got too hung up on my results and where I wanted to finish and what I had expected based on the work I put in. And I think in hindsight, it was making the sport less fun for me. So just having last year as a reset and a reminder of like, why do I actually do this? You know, and remembering the things, those reasons, um, made it that much more fun to actually toe the line last Sunday, you know, to actually race again. Yeah. And maybe just some of us just come with age <laughs> being in the sport for as long as I have too. you know, it's just like, if I keep having the same mentality, I'm going to keep finding myself upset and disappointed. So how, what, what needs to shift? So maybe it's too early to ask this since we're less than a week removed from the race, but has it been easier to get past the disappointment of this last performance versus other tough races that you've had in the past because of everything that you just described? Yes. I would say I'm almost done with my postmortem. Like I would say like, and actually I just, <laughs> I mean, I just talked, I just talked to Matt today. Um, so it was good to just have that. And, and there were so many things I did well there were actually like a lot of really positive things that went well. And certainly mistakes were made. I definitely made mistakes. And, you know, he told me, he's like, you know, I know you've done one of these, but it's been so long ago. This is like your first Ironman again. So there were things that, you know, like... Rookie mistakes. <laughs> right. And and the margin for error was small with the heat. Like I didn't have, you know, not having a good enough breakfast, which we decided I probably didn't get enough calories in. And um, just these little things early on definitely set up for some of the possible disasters that ensued on my run. So just, you know, and I wouldn't necessarily know until after the fact, but I, I, I know I towed the line in some of the best shape I've been in and I'm 41 years old and it's exciting to think that, wow, there's, there's still like potential for me to perform well. So that like, gives me hope and motivates me to just keep pursuing. And it, I may never, I may never have that race where it all falls together either. Um, and I've been accepting, I've been starting to accept that I think that's okay. So, but it hasn't been easy. It's, it's not easy for me. <laughs> well, let's go a little further down this road. You mentioned how you're a flaming type A, which I can confirm. Uh, and I know your family would 
as well. I think your dad actually called he you that. He coined that term. Because and he's like, the apple doesn't the fall too far The apple's still hanging on to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. Um, but looking ahead, you mentioned how you're 41 years old. You've been doing triathlon for, I think, close to 20 years now, a little less than 20 years since you got into grad school. You've been a competitive swimmer from the time you were like three or four, swam through high school in college. What does your relationship with competition and sport look like over the next few years? Or how are you thinking about it for the next few years? I mean, I still want to, I want to see like what I can do, you know, like, can I get a little faster? Um, Could I qualify for another world championship? Could I get on the podium again? Um, I mean, those are definitely goals I have. Um, but I know to do that, I just need to like put the goals out there and then detach myself from them and then just continue to put in the work. Um, and just seeing like how this training block went, all of the work I put in, it's I I saw that I, I saw improve, you know, I saw improvement. I, I saw that there's still potential for me. Um, so I just kind of want to keep like going down this path and see where it goes. Are you enjoying the work more at 41 years old than you have in the past? I'd say compared to. Maybe the last decade, yes. Um, it's been different. Um, my coach challenges me in in different ways. Um, I also have you know a really good group of training partners. You know, I I have a really great group that I swim with every day. I have a lot of close friends who I ride with um, and run with. So I think I've, you know, having that community of support as well, like makes it really enjoyable. Um, But I've also learned to do this on my own. Um, Certainly the pandemic, I did a lot of training on my own and got comfortable like doing these things by myself and just, you know, having those internal conversations during a tough training session, um, working through that by myself. Um, yeah. You mentioned a little while ago how you thought you would be done at the age of 40. And here we are, you're 41 training for Ironman. You just described how you continue to do this because you want to see what's possible for yourself. Do you ever see that ending or are you pretty open-minded about all of that. I mean, we've had these discussions ourselves over the past few years, but now you're on the spot and I have it recorded so I can play <laughs> it back to you. But looking ahead, do you see this as a lifelong pursuit or do you just see it evolving as you get older? I'm not sure I'm going to be the 70 year old towing the line at a 70.3 or Ironman. Um, the thing about 
this sport for me is the amount of like physical, emotional, and mental energy it requires like during the period of which I'm racing because I have to be 100% dialed with my schedule with work, getting in the training, fueling, managing, you know, everything. Like everything's on a schedule and or or else it just doesn't it doesn't get done. Like I have to have it dialed or I, or I'm not going to get it done. And that is exhausting, <laughs> you know, for long periods of time. And I think it's tough cuz I don't think I will do this forever, but I want to be active forever. But I think at some point I'm I'm sure I will shift a little bit just because I want to open up I just want to open up that space um, for maybe something else. I mean, there the beauty about where we live here in Marin County is there's so many different things to pursue. You know, I've I've grown to really love trail running. I just got a gravel bike this year. Um, there are so many ways to be active and enjoy the place where we live. And some of these things aren't always conducive to when you're trying to race and train as a competitive age group triathlete. So I think, you know, I want to, you know, see where this goes over the next few years. Um, But at some point, you know, I know that it would be nice to just maybe let some of this racing go to side or, or, and, and pursue and pursue another challenge. Cause I don't think I will be content necessarily just swim bike running every day. Although I did that during the pandemic and I was, I was good, but then I got to do a Zwift race. I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't realize like how much I missed racing. And my coach is like, you thrive on it. You know, I just, I like, I like that competition. So I think, you know, I think I'll see how my body holds up as I get older, but I know that, I know that eventually that I will shift my focus elsewhere. Um, just because I don't, there's only so much energy I think I can give mm-hmm. to like trying to be like this dialed for, you know, the six to nine months out of the year that I try to do this. So I think that was another reason why last year was just a nice reprieve because usually I race from March to September, you know, so I race over the course of six months, but I start prepping for that in January. So you're talking nine months out of the year where I'm like really focused and dialed. And then the end of the year is kind of my reprieve where I can have, you know, be a little more lax and relaxed. And, you know, I don't think I want to do that year upon year upon year. So it'll just be a matter of figuring out at one point I want to stop. It's not yet, though. (laughs) Is competitive triathlete or maybe just competitive athlete in general a big and or important part of your identity? I think it is. I would have to say so. I've been competing since I was 10. I think that's when I started competitive swimming and it started as a summer league. Um, 
and I swam for a very, very long time through college. And then when I got into graduate school is where I started to pursue triathlon. So not long after that. And kind of in the stint between shifting from swimming to triathlon, I dabbled in some marathon running. Um, I'm just, I'm kind of used to having that schedule and, and life. I have a lot of comfort in that. Um, it grounds me um, to kind of have these goals and to plan for a race and, um, you know, to balance that with, you know, before, you know, a school and then, you know, my graduate work and now it's with my career. So it, it does provide a little bit of balance for me, I think. How do you balance it all, my flaming type A, wife of a triathlete, scientific director, and wife, as I, as, I, as I just said, because I see it up front and personal and close every day. You wake up at the ass crack of dawn most mornings before 5 a.m. to do something. You're training, on average... I'd say 15 to 20 hours a week, most weeks. You work full-time. You don't have a commute anymore, but you work full-time, 40 to 50 hours a week in medical communications, very demanding job. And I can say with complete certainty that you're an amazing wife and partner to me and dog mom to our boy (laughs) Tahoe behind us. And I'm just in amazement every day of how you make it all work because you take each of those things very seriously and you put a lot of time and energy into each of those things. And somehow you find time to sleep almost eight hours every night. It's not like you're you're pulling 20-hour days. And to some degree, I mean, you've always always been like that, but... I mean, I, I see it every day, and I still don't understand it. So, give it to me. Like, give me, give me your secret. How do you, how do you make it all work and give so much of yourself to all of these pursuits and people? Because you know, even outside of of our relationship, I mean, you you have a lot of close friends, many of whom you you train with, but some of whom you don't at all. But you still find time for all of those people as well. And I want to know how the hell you make it happen because I see it firsthand, and I still can't understand it? Ah, because I love to do it. Um, You know, I started, you know, I was a student athlete in high school where I had 5 a.m. swim practice, went to school all day, went to practice after school, came home, did my homework, spent time with my family, got up and did it again. That extended into college. Um, And then, you know, graduate school, I was in the lab every day and training and seeing my friends and um, You just don't know any differently No, I don't I, I don't I mean I <laughs> I know I'm very good at multitasking um, but at the same time like I know where each piece fits in my day, like I know what's required of me for all of it and how I need to shift and adjust and 
I don't know. I don't know any differently. Like I just, I know what I need to do to get it done. Like the the margin of error is small as well. I mean, back when I was commuting and I'd come home and have to do a second workout, I'd have to be in the door and changed and either out on a run or on the trainer within 15 to 30 minutes or it wasn't going to happen. To interrupt you right there, before you left for the day too, you would lay out your clothes for that night on the bed. So you would come home, walk through the door change and jump on the trainer or get out for a run without missing a beat. So you've clearly got this ability to plan. I mean, for those listening, I do none of the planning in, in this house. Like if we go on vacation or anything, I just hand it to her because she's she's got it dialed and I know to stay out of the way. But like, where, did, where does that come from? I mean, I, I know your dad really well. You two are very similar in a lot of ways. He's also very much a type A personality but peel back the layers a bit for me and help me to understand it more. I mean, I think I've always been this way and maybe it's just some of it <laughs> from what I've inherited from my parents. Um, but for the things and the people that are important to me, I have, you know, I just, I make the time to do it. You know, i wanted to be a good student. You know, I had to like put in the time to study and get my work done. You know, I wanted to be a competitive swimmer as a kid. So I had to go to practice, you know, every day and then also make sure I got my homework done, but I wanted to hang out with my friends on the weekend. And, um, I don't know of any way that I've been different. Like, I don't know of any other way that I've been, I've, I've, I think I've always, I've always been this way and I think it's because it's what I love. I know what I want. I know what I want to achieve in these things, you know, and I may not always be successful in everything at once. Like it's hard to master it all, but I try very hard to make that time and, and, and set aside that time and, you know, if anything, there's probably the one thing is the time for myself, which I don't know, which I don't need. I'm an extrovert. <laughs> you know, I thrive on, you know, being around people, you know, and my friends and, and community. Um, you know, I've, I really like get a lot of my energy from that. So for me, like doing all these things, I'm around all the people I want to be around and that energizes me and, and motivates me but I don't think I've been any other way. Like I can't think of one moment where I've, I think I've just always been that way. Maybe I get it from my dad. <laughs> so, cause he's always been dialed as well. So. Because of all that, do you find it hard to be content sometimes? Whether it's with a result, meaning a race or back in your lab days, an experiment or maybe a project at work or with yourself and the effort that you're putting into things if you feel it might be spread a little too thin. I'd, I'd love for you to just think about that for a second and let me know your thoughts. You agreed to this conversation, by the way. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's a good question. I'd say I'm more content and happy 
now than I was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I think that just comes with age and experience and wisdom and maybe learning to let some things go. And um, I don't know, my coworkers always say I'm you know, so happy and optimistic all the time. I'm like, oh, you need to talk to my husband. Um, I mean, I can always be better. We can always like... I could always be a better wife. I can always be a better friend. I can always be a better boss and a better colleague and a better athlete. And I think I generally just try to do that every day. Like I I just try to be the best that I can and that I think that's what keeps me content and happy. And I may fall short. I off, I mean, we all do, um, but I've learned to just be happy knowing that I'm trying to do my best and some days are better than others. And yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's all I try to do is just like do the best that I can. And if sometimes that falls short or problems arise, then I manage it then. Um, Yeah. That's all I can do. I just try to <laughs> try to do my best. We just talked about how you juggle a lot. You mentioned how you're extroverted. Do you have a hard time sitting still? I've sat here for the last <laughs> hour. That's like a record. <laughs> uh yes, of course. Um why? I don't know. I always feel like I need to be doing something. There's something that needs to be done that requires my time. Iron Man training was good because I actually found time to sit on my butt and rest on the couch because I knew I needed to do it. Um, Yeah, there's always, I feel like there's always something around the house. There's an errand I need to run, like something else I need to do, you know, that requires my attention. Resting is not my jam unless it's on a beach in Hawaii. (laughs) Um, I don't know why that is either. Have you always been that way though? Yes. I'm sure. Well, yeah. My sister absolutely could attest to that. So You rest when your head hits the pillow. Pretty much. Which means I sleep really well. You do sleep really well. I'll give you that. (laughs) I mean, I make it till it's time to go to bed. You lay down and you're, you're out in five minutes or less pretty much every night, which I find to be pretty remarkable. But... I mean, you start each day with a full battery or close to a full battery, but I mean, you you drain it pretty low by the end of the day. You get everything you get everything out of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Would you have it any other way? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so I'd love to understand this because I'm, I'm a part of this equation, but I think my listeners might as well. How do you? Balance that go, 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 can't sit still, driven, extroverted personality with your almost as driven but in a different way, completely introverted, likes to sit on his ass (laughs) a lot more than people give him credit for, husband. Well, I think that's why we work, right? Someone has to ground me and park me on my butt. And someone has to kick me in the ass sometimes. Get you out the door. (laughs) 
I think that's why it works. Because I probably do need someone to tell me it's okay to sit and relax and do nothing and just chill out for an hour. And I know I've often like, if you haven't wanted to run and haven't run yet, I'm pushing you out the door to do it. I'm like, you are going to be so much happier if you just go do your run for 30 minutes. So I think that's why it works, but I need that, right? I mean, we both need it. Uh, yeah, I need that. Because I, a different I, sort of grounding. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, to your credit, you've gotten a lot better over the past 10 years <laughs> at chilling out, but you are who you are. And I know that. I accept that. So I'm not going to try and change it per se, but I think you, you've done a better job at just sort of slowing down and kind of letting things happen rather than always trying to make things happen. Yep. Which is really important for athletics and racing. (laughs) I think I spend a lot of time trying to make things happen versus just letting. Contrary to the contents of this conversation to this point, we are not as one-dimensional endurance athletes as, as we may come across I know because I get this question a lot that people are interested in our story. And since this is my podcast, oh, no. I am putting it on you to tell the listeners how we got to know each other and then eventually got married and built this life together that we enjoy very much. Well, you never tell the story correctly anyway, so... Why bother, Why should I even bother then? <laughs> Go for it. Um, it was 2011. So we've been together for 10 years, married for eight. Um, we met in San Diego. Uh, we met through a running group that I had joined. Um, San Diego has this fall cross-country running series that I started to do in what I would call my off season of triathlon. Um, I did it to learn how to hurt on the run because if anything's more painful than three to six miles running all out cross country, I don't know what is. Um, But several of my friends were running on a team and they invited me to join them, even though I'd said, I'm not a runner, I'm not a runner. They're like, it's okay, it's for fun. So I joined them and they actually had a coach that would show up for their weekly track workouts and provide some training. So I would join them for that. Um, But at the beginning of 2011, they wanted to hire a new coach. And that is where we met at a coffee shop in the Hoya in Panikin in February of 2011. Our team captain, Gina, had brought you in because you were running with a local guys group and we eventually all merged into a big co-ed group. Um, but you were new-ish to San Diego. Yeah, I'd been there for just a little over six months, I think, at that point. But she had somehow gotten wind that you were a running coach, and for whatever reason that day, I decided to go to the interview that we had with you at the coffee shop. I think there were five or six of us that agreed to meet with you. Um, And I don't remember too much about the conversation. I don't think I said much other than when... You know, you were talking with the girls about starting up 
training and workouts. I think I just told you that I would be joining the team later in the summer because I was still racing triathlon, so I wouldn't show up to workouts till the end of the summer. That's accurate. Yep. Um, and I think shortly after, since this was, you know, 10 years ago, back when, uh, you know, People became Facebook friends, so we connected that way um, and exchanged, you know, a lot of people exchanged phone numbers and got in contact with you, and I know several of the girls wanted to start working with you for coaching right away. I don't think I had your phone number right away. We did become Facebook friends. Yes. Because, yeah, you weren't joining the group until August, and this was February. Um, So we were Facebook friends. And at the time, at that point in Facebook, people like to check in to places where you eat. For those of you that remember doing that, you'd eat at a great place and you'd check in as to where you were eating. Um, and that February, I had put up a post about how I'd been like a year and a half anniversary since I had lost my mom. Um, my mom passed away in 2009 um, to cancer in August. Um, So at that point, it had been a year and a half, you know, so still like pretty fresh. Um, And you had seen that post and had written me a message um, because you had lost your mom as well. So that is kind of our shared connection. And we started kind of messaging over Facebook about it. Um, We both have tattoos for our moms. So I think we talked about that as well. Um, But somehow amidst all this, you know, I noticed you were checking in for brunches. And for those who have been to San Diego, San Diego has an amazing brunch scene. And I noticed you were not going to the correct places. (laughs) So I commented on that. (laughs) I think you were giving me a hard time because... My friend Omar and I would run a few mornings a week before work, and we would check in, which in retrospect, this is ridiculous, at Panera, of all places, for the breakfast sandwich that we would get after our run. And I mean, Panera is fine. It's certainly not the best brunch that San Diego has to offer, but I believe you were giving me a hard time for checking in at Panera for brunch or breakfast, I guess, during the week. But you called yourself, I believe it was an avid bruncher. I don't think you called yourself a brunch connoisseur. I think you said, I'm an av- I happen to be an avid bruncher. Yeah. And if you would ever like to... Are you claiming that I asked you to brunch? I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure I, I offered suggestions. I, I'm not claiming that. I, you, you were suggesting that if I ever wanted to check out better brunch places, you'd be happy to, I don't think it was take me there, but give me recommendations. Yeah, that sounds right. And then you asked me to brunch. Because why not? Yep. I mean, if, you, if you're an avid bruncher yep. and I'm clearly dropping the ball by going to Panera. I, I want to know what I'm doing wrong. Yep. I was unaware of San Diego's excellent brunch scene excellent at this point of my scene. time there. I mean, I'd, I'd been there for a little over six months and I, you know, I, I am not the extrovert that you are. I mean, left to my own devices, I'm going to sit at home and eat a bowl of frosted Cheerios mm-hmm. by myself. Yeah. So I think you suggested that we go to brunch and we ended up going that Saturday. Do you remember where? 
Naked Cafe. Correct. In Encinitas. But there was one in Solana Beach, which is the one I used to frequent. Well, and we ended up frequenting it fairly yeah. regularly after that. I actually think that's the only time we went to Naked Cafe in Encinitas yeah. was that first time we went to brunch. And I made you late for a work event. Yes, you did. I had a triathlete magazine gear guide event at one o'clock that afternoon and we went past one o'clock and I was late for it. But I did ask you to brunch again the next day because I wanted to continue the conversation that we had started there. And we went to brunch again and he paid for brunch the first time and the second time. And then well, that's I was like, what a gentleman oh, does. was that a date? So that's sort of how it started. <laughs> was it a date, Gould? No. Why wasn't it a date? No. You were just being nice. Maybe it was a date in your brain. It wasn't a date in my brain. What do you remember about those first two brunches that we had together? Oh, we talked a lot. We I, did talk a lot. Yeah. I mean, we talked a lot. You're, I remember you being very easy to talk to, and I couldn't tell you what we talked about. I'm sure... I mean, the the thing that connected us is our shared... History of both losing our moms, mm-hmm. so I'm, I know we shared those stories, um, but beyond that, I couldn't tell you what we talked about. I just know we talked a lot, and even the second day when we went to brunch, we had a 45-minute wait, and we walked along the boardwalk and talked before we actually went to brunch, so it's a lot of talking. It was a lot of talking. I don't remember what the heck we talked about. I don't about know either. either. But I, I do remember it flowed easily yes. at the yep. time. As easy as this conversation? maybe even a little bit easier because we didn't have mics in front of us. So I was probably a, a little um, less self-conscious. Maybe you were a little less yep. less guarded. Not that we're guarded or self-conscious at all this, in this conversation. But I mean, we've, I don't know, we've always had easy conversation. Not easy conversations. We've had hard yes. conversations. But I think we have always connected and communicated well, which... I really value as one of the foundational elements of our relationship. I agree. That was established pretty early on, or became apparent anyway, really early on. Yeah. I love your initial impressions of of me in in general. And this is more so for the listeners than myself, because you, you give me crap about this stuff all the time. But you meet me at this interview for a running team that you're not going to join for several months later. You clearly had nothing better to do on that Saturday morning than to go to this, go to this thing. And now here you are like stuck with me for the rest of your life. Um, but give me your, your initial impressions of, of, I guess I would have been 28 years old at the time, 29, 29 years old at the time. I don't, I don't even remember, but younger Mario. Cause I feel like I've, I like to think I've matured a lot in the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, he's still, you're still one of the biggest running dorks that I know, and you were then too. <laughs> That's why I have this podcast. Yeah. Um, Let's me be what I am. I, I don't like very enthusiastic. Um, you know, I just remember you were very, still are, like animated, enthusiastic, a lot of energy. Um, but it was, you know, you were very easy to talk to. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, I'm sure we've all had conversations with someone where we didn't feel like that other person was listening, wasn't listening. I never got that impression from you. You know, I, I feel like you're very, you were, still are, like very attentive to the people who you are having conversations with, um, you know, ensuring that 
people have their chance to say what they want to say and, you know, listening and, you know, since you are a podcaster, ask good questions. Um, my impression that I'm like, oh, he's a really, I'm like, he's a really nice guy. I had a really nice, you know, just had a really nice conversation and you offered to buy me breakfast, which, you know, I would have been like happy to split, you know, because I'm just like, I don't know you, you know, we're, we just met, you know, I know nothing about you. There's no reason why you would have to pay for my breakfast, not once, but twice. And it was after the second time I was like, oh, why do you pay for my breakfast twice? <laughs> um you know, and then it was later that week where, you know, it became apparent to me that perhaps you were interested in me romantically and asked me on a date. And at that point, I'm like, oh, well, all right, let's give this a shot. You know, I don't know. I was just like really comfortable with you. And I'm like, you know, I just didn't cross my mind when I met like, oh, here's the next person <laughs> for me. But it just kind of flowed naturally to that. So when the time came where we went out on our first proper date, in my mind, you know, I was like, "Oh." Well, you you skipped some parts of the story. This <laughs> well, is this I is why know. I'm this is why I'm glad I'm here to to just kind of keep you in line because oh. after those we're two brunches that weren't dates, we were texting. Yes, and I can't remember exactly what I asked you, but you texted me back. Are you asking me out on a date? And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, you may have put it in all caps too, coach. Yes. Well, yes, because you had suggested that maybe we could do something other than brunch, and that's when the bell went off. And, and, to, that... be, and, and to, to be fair, I, w- I was not coaching you. No. I, I mean, I did coach you for a little while, like well after we were married for some marathons, even triathlon for a little bit, but I definitely was not coaching you at the time. You're like, are, are you asking me out on a date, coach? Yes. Do you remember my response? Well, yes. You said... You know, if I'm going to ask you out on a date, I'm going to call you and do it properly. And he called 10 minutes later. <laughs> two days later, I think it was two days later, we went out on our first date. and The rest is history. You haven't been able to shake me since? No. Nope. Greatest accomplishment of my life. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit. I asked you to marry me. Eight months in to our quote unquote, making the air quotes here, official relationship. And I did so on November 11th, 2011, 11, 11, 11, which has some significance for you. Not that exact date, but those numbers. I asked you on a walk after brunch at the same spot where we went on our second non-date at Isabel's in Pacific Beach. And I think it's fair to say you did not see it coming because we hadn't talked about it. No, this is the one time where you have surprised me. Yeah, I'm not... You are not one for... Surprises. No. If, if I mean, if that hasn't become obvious over the course of this this conversation, Gould is Type A. She's a planner. Um, she is not easy to surprise. So I, I I have to pick my spots in that regard. But I got you pretty good. You on, did on that one. What do you remember about that date aside from the fact that you didn't see it coming? Ah, uh, 
I mean, it was 11, 11, 11. Um, Why is I, that significant? Well, I used to see a lot. I see 11, 11 on the clock all the time. And it was like a big joke with my lab mates. Um, I still do. I, most of the time I see the AM 11, 11 yeah, in you're, the morning. You're like passed out. But 11, 11, if I'm yeah. up late, I have seen it at night and I don't know why. It's just the time I always saw on the clock. So when November 11th of 2011 came around, you know, people were teasing me like, oh, what, what are you going to do? It's your date. Um, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to go to brunch well, <laughs> and then go holiday. to lab. Yes, it was Veterans Day. I'm like, I'm going to go to brunch and I'm going to go to lab <laughs> because that's, I was still in my postdoc, still what I did. Didn't matter if it was a holiday and still went to lab. Um, so, you know, we went to brunch and then you tried to convince me to go for a walk and I wanted to go back to lab. So I just wanted to do what I needed to do and enjoy the rest of the holiday because I didn't want to work the whole day. And, um, I don't know, you were like 10 minutes. And I was like, fine. So, you know, we walked out, you know, to the boardwalk. And I don't, it wasn't like an amazing day in San Diego. It was kind of overcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't an amazing day. But I'm like, all right, let's go for a walk. You know, I'll humor you. Um, and then, you know, we got to like this little overlook over the beach. Um yeah, I mean, you, you, we just started talking, um, you know, and, you know, you mentioned how, like, you know, after your mom, you know, like, I'm, like, the most, you know, important woman in your life, you know, and it would, you know, mean a lot to you, you know, if I wore her ring, and I just, like, had no idea, I was, I was like, wait a minute, what, you know, and, like, you know, the next thing I looked, you know, there you were proposing. And I'm still like looking at him like, what? Like, what is happening right now? Like, why is he proposing? Like, what is going on? You know, then I'm just still looking at him and I'm like, oh, yeah, I couldn't, like, this is all going on in my head. And I'm like, nod your head, you stupid girl. Like, you know the answer to this question. <laughs> so completely blindsided because as... Mario just said we did not talk about it, but he did talk to my dad and get permission and did, you know, when we went back to, you know, the first visit time his you fam- went to visit my family yeah, in Massachusetts. He, like sneakily with his dad, like got his mom's ring and, you know, had it all planned out. And I had absolutely no idea. So I haven't surprised you since. No, <laughs> I will not allow it. There's a little more to this story, which I think just just paints just a great picture of you. I, I I love telling this as embarrassing as it is. So, you know, you nod your head, yes, put the ring on your finger. We get someone to take our photo. We're happy as can be. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we start walking back down the boardwalk. And what do you say to me? I don't remember what I said to you. I've really got to get to lab. Oh, yeah, that. See, that's why I don't remember saying that. (laughs) Yes, I had to go to lab. I'm like, I still have to go to lab. (laughs) How has our relationship grown since then? I mean, that was 10 years ago, different city, very different time in our lives, professionally, personally, even athletically, as unimportant as that is in the grand scheme of things. Ah, 
I mean, it grows every day, right? I, I mean, you know, you learn a lot about a person <laughs> when you spend like day in and day out. And, um, you know, we've certainly had like our ups and downs. And, um, you know, I, I mean, after we got married, I also got, you know, my job here in the Bay Area. So, I mean, it was a lot of big life changes for us. You know, we got married and then proceeded to, you know, pack up, you know, our lives in San Diego. And I had been there 12 years. So it was a very hard transition to come up here to the Bay um, to pursue my career. Um, And then we've, you know, put down roots here now in Marin County and, um, this is home. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I'm just trying to think of like how to, I don't know. I just like feel how I, I mean, you know, it's just like every, every day, like the, you know, the little things that, you know, we do for one another and, you know, just, you know, the never ending support that I know that I have for all of my pursuits and, and vice versa. I mean, we've, you know, we know what's important to each other, um, you being the introvert, I know what you need to do to recharge. So when I disappear for a five-hour bike ride, I know you're not missing me, that you're actually having a wonderful time <laughs> at home alone by yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know like how to describe how it's grown other than it's just kind of like the the day in and out of things of, you know, what we do to support each other, you know, how we show love for one another, how we... Um, you know, do the things that we enjoy together. And I think we're very lucky in that we share a lot of similar pursuits, but then we can also go about and do our own things as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's something for me that's hard to describe. It's just something that I feel on a on a daily basis. Yeah, so. and it, it feels right, and it it works. And to one of the points that you just made, I mean, you are extroverted and risk averse. I am introverted and a bit of a risk taker. And coming here, as you just described, was a big jump for you. It wasn't a super smooth transition those first couple of years. It it took a little while until we both really felt comfortable here and with our our schedule and our routine. But despite challenges and frustrations, we supported one another through it. And then two years after we got here, I took an opportunity with a startup here in the Bay Area, you being the risk-averse one amongst the two of us, were, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, not crazy about it, just no. because it was a startup, it wasn't a ton of runway. I was carrying our, our health insurance. I had, you know, a fairly fairly stable job at the time. But despite that, you also knew that this was a step that I, I wanted to take and you said, We'll make it work. And then fast forward, you know, three months a startup mm-hmm falls apart, it runs out of money, and they tell me I've got two paychecks left before they're not able to to pay me. And 
I don't want to put words in your mouth, but started freaking out a little yeah. bit. But you also said to me, you've always wanted to work for yourself as a coach and a writer. Here's your opportunity. You've got one month to figure it out or you've got to go get a job. And here we are. I guess that was five years, five ago? years ago at this yeah. point. And you're on the Morning Shakeout podcast. I know. We found a way to make it work. Yep. And I mean, it's still, you know, we have a, we have a, a good life. I feel really grateful for where we live and the opportunities we've had presented to us, but it's, it's still a little scary every day, but I, I know and take comfort in the fact that I have you alongside with me to, to navigate it together. And despite whatever roadblocks we run into that, we'll find a way to help each other through it. And there, and there's something about, about that, just knowing that and having it in your back pocket that feels really good. Yep. That's all you got? Yep. Well, I am the CEO and CFO of Mario Fraelli <laughs> LLC. By the way, the job does not pay very well. So <laughs> that's also on my resume. <laughs> it has fringe benefits. Though. Yes. <laughs> you get running shoes from time to time. Yep. Well, talk to me a little bit more about your role as the CEO and CFO of Mario Fraley LLC. I mean, things are, are going well for me from a business standpoint. I'm able to do it. I mean, it, it is still on like a quarterly basis. Did I do well enough that I can keep doing this or am I going to need to go get a real job? What has that been like for you over the last five years of just you know riding that wave of uncertainty, instability as far as where my income is coming from or you know what the next three to six months may hold for us from you know a, a financial perspective and being able to kind of keep this train on the tracks? Well, I mean, the one thing I knew is that you're an incredibly popular and coveted coach so I always knew that you know if you wanted to coach 50 athletes you wouldn't have any issues filling that roster because I know you get coaching requests all the time now I know that sort of athlete load is not feasible and I think you know once your newsletter and when you got this podcast going and and, and I knew like I knew how popular and respected and known you were in the sport. So to be honest, I knew you'd figure it out and I knew you'd have a plan. So I didn't I didn't stress too much. I think the one time where I remember stepping in is at one point, you know, you had had a potential opportunity, you know, to work for another media brand. Mm-hmm. You know, you were given an offer and you mentioned it to me and I looked at you and I don't know if this surprised you, but I looked at you like you were crazy because I'm like, you're going to have to stop writing your newsletter. You're going to have to stop doing the things that you've been up to 2 a.m. up so late every Monday to put together your newsletter. You know, I saw like how much time, how sleep deprived, like all this work and effort. And I, I know that from your perspective, it, you know, it's scary to try to figure it out but I'm like you were really I couldn't believe that you were even considering giving that up because from what I was my perspective was I'm like okay we can make it work and figure it out you know I was 
doing fine in my job. You know, I had our health insurance coverage and, you know, like all the little things. It's like, okay, you have, I knew you had the runway to go with it. And I wasn't willing for you to give up on that right then. So I'm like, you've come this far. You know, I know you're really scrappy. You know, I, you know, I knew you would figure out a way to make it work. And you've always kind of let me know how things go. And just you, you get so much support from the running community. I, I really had, you know, I really had a lot of faith that this would work because of that, because of this presence that you've built. You know, I, you know, I know my sister has said, oh, you know, so-and-so talks, you know, she, you know, said something, you know, read an article about Mario and I'm like, yeah, that's my, that's my brother-in-law. You know, I mean, you've, your presence in the sport is, is so great that I, you know, and no one else was really doing what you were doing either, you know, and had the connections that you did. I, I, I don't think I worried as much as you thought I might have been because I'm like, I'm like, he's, he's got this. He's got this to figure out. So I knew it was best for me to just like push you when I needed to and otherwise just like stay on the sidelines. And I thank you so much for that because there have been a few moments over the past five years that I've wanted to quit and stop coaching or at least scale it back or stop doing the podcast and newsletter just because I was worried about being able to do it professionally and put the time and effort into it to do it well enough to meet not only my standards, but also to help provide for, for us, for, you know, for, for our family. And, and I remember that very vividly. Um, you were you were pretty upfront with me, and we're like, "You're really going to throw all of this away." And hearing that from you was really impactful on me because I didn't want to fight for it anymore. I want to take the easy way out, and you wouldn't let me. And I, I, that was really a you know a, a catalyst, and and made me want to I'll say recommit myself to it, or at least to to a level where I knew. I mean, I knew I had your backing, but I also, I'm like, all right, Christine's given me this opportunity. You know, she sees how hard I've worked for this, much like I was describing earlier when I, I watched you in the, you know, triathlon and, you know, gave me permission to to fight for it. Because honestly, I mean, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation for the podcast right now. This episode of the podcast wouldn't be out right now if you had said, yeah, that sounds like a good opportunity. I think you should, you should take it. Um, so I, I, I thank you so much for that. And maybe listeners to this podcast can thank you so much for that because this episode probably wouldn't have come out without it a, a, a few years ago. And I mean, I, I could not do what I do on a day-to-day basis, personally, professionally, or otherwise without your support. So this is the first time that my listeners have gotten to hear from you. I mean, I, you know, they can see that I run with you on Strava all the time. Mm-hmm. When I was on social media, I would, I would post about you. Some of them happen to follow you anyway, which is, which is a little bit weird, but cool <laughs> at, the, at the same time. But I mean, the morning shakeout wouldn't be what it is. I wouldn't be who I am without you and your support. So I'm going to take this opportunity to 
publicly thank you on the <laughs> record for just loving me the way that you do and supporting me in the way that you do and allowing me to to do this as my job and put so much time and energy into it because I know that it doesn't always make sense. I know that sometimes it can be really frustrating because I'm all over the place with it and there is uncertainty and there are a lot of late nights involved, but thank you. Of course. That's why we're a good team. What is that like, though, to... Not just not to be married to me. What's it like to be married mm-hmm. to Mario? What what is it like to just navigate this with me from a supporting role? Because you, as you've described in this conversation, you are very much a planner. You are very good at kind of compartmentalizing your day. You're very good at shutting things off when you need to shut things off. I have a very hard time shutting myself off. I think I've gotten better at it over the years, but I mean, Monday nights for the past almost six years that I've been doing the newsletter have been very late affairs into the night for me. I mean, I've I've brought it back a bit where if I finish by 11 o'clock, that's a really good night and I can still get a decent night of sleep, but especially early on. And there's still been moments recently, like when the whole Shelby Houlihan thing mm. happened, or I've had to rewrite the entire newsletter where I'm up till, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning. You've been in bed for several hours at that point. If we're being honest, I'm kind of useless the next day. Um, Pre-COVID times, I was traveling a bunch on the coaching side of things. Like I've got 20 to 25 athletes at any given time that I'm communicating with, that I'm giving a lot of my time and attention to throughout, you know, the, the day weekends, because that's when, when races happen. And I mean, sometimes honestly, like I, you know, I, I feel bad because time that I'm putting into those things, which I, I, I love to do and are important to me are also time that, you know, take away from, you know, our time as, as a family or things that we would do as a couple. I mean, we, we certainly prioritize that as well. And, and we find the time to hang out, to run together, to have dinner every night. But, but like, there's a very long winded way of asking like, what, what is it like to deal with my bullshit all of the time? <laughs> uh, well, sometimes it's frustrating, but mostly when, I have tried to suggest tools to help you organize and plan and keep things a little bit more aligned and set up a calendar or a schedule or things to help with that. And you disregard those suggestions and end up in the same traps as before. Um, That can be frustrating. Um, But I also know like... You are a creative person. I know that writing, I mean, I do writing in my day job as well. Um, but it's a very different kind of writing. Different You're kind right, of writer. Your writing is kind of boring. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, so I understand the time and effort, and I know you sometimes deal with very controversial and sensitive subjects. So the time needed to carefully write about them is important. Um, I am an athlete as well, so I understand also 
needing to reach out to a coach. And I know sometimes I've probably texted my coach when I shouldn't have. Um, but I know we've also discussed, you know, the, like the boundaries of like when, you know, like, hey, this is our time. Like you can respond if it's not urgent, you know, respond to athletes at another time, like when we're having our time. Um, I've also learned when to just let you go and spin and stew and <laughs> rant and, <laughs> and rave and rant and rave about it and when I need to step in. So I pick my I pick my points. <laughs> it's challenging sometimes and mostly cuz it's not how I operate cuz to me I see like oh well this is how I would do it but I know that's not how you do it. <laughs> so um have I gotten better over I the years? I think so. But while I have you, where do I need improvement? Well, I know you can't multitask, and sometimes <laughs> you need to be able to do that. <laughs> I'm a terrible multitasker. I'm a great monotasker. Uh, yep. But it, it's not good for efficiency's sake. No. Goulds are very efficient. Yes, we are. I don't know. Calendars do wonders. Scheduling time appropriately. Don't book up your Monday if you need to write a newsletter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. We've been going for a while now, and our four-legged fur baby Tahoe is staring at us because it's time for his afternoon walk. Last question. I'm going to modify one that I ask of a lot of my guests, which is what is exciting you most about running right now and the way I'm going to frame it to you is what is exciting you Christine Gould most right now there are no right or wrong answers to this that I get to see all my friends right now being an extrovert in a pandemic is really hard zoom doesn't cut it so it's been really really nice for our trip, we stayed with friends in Spokane, and it was amazing. And we have plans to see more friends. We've been seeing all the friends, and that has, like, more than anything, it's been fun to be back to racing, but just seeing friends again. And we'll get to see our family as well, but just, to ha like, for me to have that in-person connection again has been really, really great, and it's been really energizing. Yeah, it's been great. Even for my introverted <laughs> self who really, in some ways, thrived during the <laughs> pandemic because I didn't have to interact with many people or go anywhere and I could be in my routine day in and day out. It has been great to just see people again and move about a little bit more freely and visit some places, I, mostly together. I mean, I, I, don't, yeah. I haven't taken a work trip yet. You haven't taken a work trip yet. Uh, we've gone and seen friends outside of the county. We were just in the Pacific Northwest. We saw our godson not too long ago. Uh -huh. We're going to see our family here in the next couple of months. We've got visitors coming to stay with us. And I can't think of many things that are much more exciting than that. I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Thank you for, for dealing with me, not just for the last, <laughs> I don't know, 90 to 100 yeah. minutes that we've been talking, but day in and day out, I couldn't ask for a better, more supportive partner in life. I love you very much. And I thank you for coming on the Morning Shakeup podcast. Likewise, I love you too. 
All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to both Tracksmith and Gooder for making this episode possible. Tracksmith crafts performance running apparel, inspiring publications, and distinct experiences that allow runners to indulge in the sports rich culture. Check out Tracksmith's summer essentials for racing and training, including the OTQ kits, which over 30 athletes from their amateur support program competed in at the Olympic track and field trials last month in Eugene, Oregon. You can pick up an OTQ singlet or the OTQ race shorts for yourself and feel just as fast as some of the best athletes in the country next time you step on the starting line. Tracksmith is offering new customers $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more. Just use the code MARIO15, that's MARIO15, when you check out at tracksmith.com slash MARIO. Gooder sunglasses are just the best. I've been wearing them for the past few years, and they don't bounce, they don't slip, they're polarized to protect your eyes, and they come in a nice range of styles and fun colors. They're the most affordable performance shades on the planet, with most pairs coming in at only 25 to 35 bucks a piece. If you want to support the podcast and treat yourself to a pair of Gooders, head over to gooder.com slash Mario, that's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash Mario, or enter the code Mario at checkout to save 15% on your order. Your face will thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me couple more things before we wrap up i'd like to give a shout out as always to my longtime producer john summerford who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing also thank you to jeffrey stern for running the am shakeout social media accounts and chris douglas for handling sponsorship sales last thing if you are digging this podcast i think you'll love my newsletter it's also called the morning shakeout and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 